0: Welcome to episode 67 of the Antiquette podcast. I'm Johnny Firecloud here once again, giving you the ups and downs while the inimitable and downright magical Alan Johannes was responsible for the Antiquette theme song you just heard. And if you're listening to this and by some wild stretch of the imagination you're not familiar with Alan, I invite you to look up the band Eleven, or the band Queens of the Stone Age, or the band Them Crooked Vultures and see how he fits into the mix. Um... Uh, Alan's a very special type of person. He brings a very unique musical colorscape to the equation. And his bandmate in Them Crooked Vultures is a drummer named Dave. And Dave happens to have a band called the Foo Fighters as well. Uh, That band has a new song out today, and frankly, it's pretty damn surprising. But uh, before we get to that, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode of the Anna Podcast is brought to you by the phrase, I told you so. There are rare moments in life when I told you so really stands out as a justified reaction to a given situation without making you look like much of an asshole. (laughs) But 13 days ago, I broke the story right here on the Antiquette podcast of Soundgarden and Vicky Cornell finally squashing their lawsuit that had held up a bunch of progress. And what that meant was that Soundgarden's final album could be finished and released and came to find out that it was nearing completion when this lawsuit kicked off. There were quite a few naysayers to the story, quite a bit of skepticism, especially among people who have never heard of me before or the Antiquette podcast or anything. But as we all saw within the last couple days, the surviving members of the Soundgarden, as well as Chris Cornell's estate, let's say, have corroborated the story. They have confirmed the news. In other words, I was right. And if you look back through all of Antiquette's history... All the way back to 2007, and you dig through with the finest tooth comb you can possibly find, you're not going to come across a single goddamn swing that we've taken editorially that is not connected with the ball of truth. If I'm delivering breaking news, news that is severely awesome, no less, you can bet your silly ass that it's information you can rely on. And maybe I'll give you a little backstory here, just for the sake of creating a sense of understanding as to why I'm so confidently able to say that. My career in music journalism began in 2006, officially. Well, unofficially, I was interviewing bands and covering shows since 1999 when, uh, when I found myself at the first or second ever Perfect Circle show, just by coincidence. I covered that show, was excited about it, I don't even remember where I put it. And uh, it built attention and connected me to people that would become dear friends and brothers and you know partners, and this resulted in the 2007 launch of Antiquiet. And Squirrel and I started Antiquiet because we were honestly fed up with journalistic cowardice. We didn't see our own taste represented in those music sites and blogs and so on. And we decided to put our talents and tenacity and taste together for the world to dig into. We both lived in L.A. We were constantly going to shows. We were constantly putting out artistic sort of expressions of self, whether it be words, art itself, music, or whatever – And so we decided to focus. Our first ever interview was with Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age. It was, uh, I think it was titled, Interscope Sucks Josh Homme's Dick. (laughs) You know, we're named Anna Quiet for a reason. We named the site Anna Quiet for a reason. And it wasn't because we wanted to run around screaming our heads off and just being loud for the sake of being loud. We were disgusted with what we saw around us and we decided to carve a new path. And that path was successful. It was a wild ride during those early years because it was very much fly by the seat of your pants. There was very little structure as far as music, blogs, and such went. And we could essentially create our own world and our own audience, and we did. And it was a riot. But as for my own credentials as a writer and an editor and a publisher, perhaps you can allow me a minute or two here of indulgence as I run through a few highlights to give you a sense of who this cat is that you're listening to. You know, I've been building and leading writers and editors to kill for years, but prior to that, I was just a writer. I was just figuring out my voice, figuring out what it meant to do this the right way. And the fire of scrutiny is a a really tricky thing to translate into compelling copy without drowning in its own poison. You know, if you're going to talk about an album that people love and you don't love it, You've got to explain why in a way that uh, is convincing rather than, no, that sucks. No, that sucks. This isn't very good. Like, there's got to be much more than that. I've built my reputation and an industry network of respect and honing that edge for 18 years of publication now. I've traveled the world to meet with heroes and unforgettable people, whether scuba diving in the Philippines or writing up the death of MCA from the Beastie Boys while hammered in a Scottish castle in the middle of a blizzard while wearing a kilt. <laughs> um, it's It's been a wild life, you know. Um, shit, I remember singing with locals on the streets of Dublin on St. Patrick's Day or, or drinking ancient scotch with the master distiller of Glenlivet as, you know, we're walking even more ancient smugglers' trails in the hills of Scotland. I've made Robin Williams laugh heartily. I've reviewed everything from albums to restaurants to... You know, covering endless festivals and shows to sports and beyond while also producing and scripting and directing multiple original live music sessions and original productions. You should check out the Antiquiet sessions if you haven't. And all of that barely scratches the surface of where I've been so far. So rest assured, what you hear on the Antiquette podcast is not bullshit that's pulled randomly from internet arguments or TikTok speculation. There are credentials here that I've earned over two-plus decades. And if we dive deep, there's a reason. When we take a swing on Annaquiet, we don't fucking miss. We built this world entirely ourselves, and I'm damn proud of it, because it represents a successful execution of putting our strongest passions into compelling words and sounds. If I'm shouting it from the rooftops or into this goddamn microphone, you can bet your ass it's a reality. So let's get to this food Fighters bit. I woke up to a new Foo Fighters song today, and I was immediately transported back to September of last year. You know, when we were at the Taylor Hawkins tribute show, and tears were freely freely streaming. And it was just an emotional experience, to say the very least. And my chest was hitching this morning as I connected to my speakers to listen to this song. Rescued. This was this was set to be an emotional statement from the band. You know, from the Foo Fighters. It was a, a response to the unthinkable tragedy of Taylor's loss last year and the curiosity that followed as to what they would sound like what direction they would go in from here how they would process this loss and adapt to the world without Taylor would we hear that in the music it's something that I'm sure I was not alone in feeling you know and as I put the song on I read the press release talking about how it sonically channeled the naivete of the Foo Fighters 1995 debut and informed by decades of maturity and so on. But, um, you know, it's the sound of brothers finding refuge in the music. That's something you might expect to read on the heels of a band going through what the Foo Fighters went through over the last year, you know? But when you listen to Rescued, when you hear the song, the impression that you get is not at all first album Foo Fighters, not by a long shot. The sound is quite clearly sitting neatly at the intersection between in your honor from back in 2005 and echo silence patience and grace from 2007 yeah the song man I, look last year was a rough one for who fighters obviously it's an understatement. when taylor died everything was completely thrown off but there's one massive message that came across the last couple years of shit you know these guys are grinding way too hard that's it's across the board i mean you just can't we have not gotten rid of Dave from the media in the last decade or so, you know, he's just constantly in the news and I don't want to get salacious and tabloid level. You know, it's, it, it wasn't news to anyone though, that Taylor was on the edge of feeling overwhelmed, feeling like he was working way too hard, grinding way too hard with the relentless album and touring schedule that the band had. So one year later to have a new album and tour, you know, that goes absolutely everywhere. And so on, it's uh it shouldn't be a surprise, but it still is, you know? And as for the song itself, look, it's good to hear new Foo Fighters. Definitely, definitely. I would far rather this than have them not be around anymore. However, the song itself is just not very good. It's the most typical Foo Fighter song one could expect to hear, you know? Granted, there's, there's some applicable lyricism early on in the first verse, you know, to indicate the, the loss, uh, you know, the absence of Taylor. But after that, it falls into a really relatively familiar sonic pattern uh, musically and lyrically. And Dave's singing about, you know, Kings and Queens and something in between. And so on. I'm let's walk through the lyrics here just cause like, I, I'm still having a hard time with this. Like, the first verse, it came in a flash, it came out of nowhere, it happened so fast, and then it was over. That's some heavy shit, given what transpired last year, right? And it starts your, you know, your heart and your mind kind of having these contractions, these feelings of like, ah, God, but then the song goes on. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Is this happening now? Are you feeling what I'm feeling? This is happening now. Like, okay, not exactly profound, but this is obviously building to something, right? You know, it's, it's, Continuing the message, right? So it goes on. We're all free to some degree to dance under the lights. I'm just waiting to be rescued. Bring me back to life. Kings and queens and in-betweens, we all deserve the right. I'm just waiting to be rescued. I'm just waiting to be rescued. We're all just waiting to be rescued tonight. What? What does any of that mean? I... What? Like, look, I know Dave Grohl is never... (laughs) <laughs> He's never been the most profound lyricist out there. But songs like Razor, songs like Stranger Things Have Happened, uh you know, there's there's a lot of good examples of Dave stepping up lyrically when the moment calls for it for some unforgettable songs, you know. And this moment sure as shit calls for it. Taylor was the most significant member the band had, barring Dave himself obviously. And they made that happen. That was created intentionally. They forced that hand. They turned Taylor into something of a a mascot because his personality is way over the top, you know, singing Somebody to Love, coming up from the riser, putting on crazy sunglasses and spandex and shit, like jumping all around the stage, doing stuff that drummers, you know, outside of the the 80s hair metal arena bands, (laughs) you know, would never have been seen doing or would never even think to do. So this is the moment, you know, this is the moment that calls for recognition of that, the loss of that, awareness of the pain and the catharsis for, for whatever is to come next. The only problem is that Dave's just not the best lyricist. And that's why as fun and exciting and exhilarating as many Foo Fighters and songs and shows are, it's just not sexy, you know. Foo Fighters music is not dangerous, never. You're not putting it on when you're angry or when you need, you know, lava in your veins or when you're feeling a little extra swivel on your hips. sure as hell not music to fuck to, you know. If if I'm drinking or, you know, if I need something with a little gusto, Foo Fighters are not the way to go. And that's fine, you know. Not everybody needs to be fucking queens of the Stone Age, you know. But like I said you don't want to fuck to this music, (laughs) it's not dangerous, it's not, it's it's just not sexy, and I'm not entirely sure that's from the lack of desire, you know, I wanted to really go nuts loving this song, I really wanted to leap into this and, and be like, man, it's exciting, I can't wait to hear what comes next, this is gonna be great, um, you know, I imagine, I assume I would put good money on the idea that Dave played the drums on this track. Uh, I imagine Dave played drums on all of the tracks, say for maybe a couple that uh, might have been left over from the previous sessions or or what. But I don't like the song very much. And I feel terrible for saying that. You know, I'm, I'm in so very much looking forward to seeing them in may uh the festivals and there's there's more shows to come and so on but um i'm just really hoping that the rest of the record stands out in a way that's uh more exciting you know um it's it's tough so to cap that off the new foo fighters record is called but here we are and it's out june 2nd and i'm I'm really hoping that this is a great record. I'm hoping that this is something that isn't just another grind on more foo, you know? Anyway, let's move on. (laughs) We're a breath away now from festival season, with Coachella already kicking things off last weekend in true shit show fashion. Emphasis on fashion, and uh, if you know me at all, you know very well that Bonnaroo is my holy grail of music festivals. There is nothing that comes anywhere near the exhilaration and excitement and unique celebration that Bonnaroo delivers. There's just there's something very much like Christmas time and the energy and the spirit that's that's impossibly special every time. I've been there probably seven or eight times now you know you're high-fiving you're saying happy rude to everybody as you pass them you know total strangers the fact that the music goes all night there's amazing little side quests you can go on and um you know the campgrounds are just incredible so much adventure to be had and shit to do and a lot of that has to do with the fact that people have to show up with good spirits and to be down for it because you're traveling out to the middle of bumblefuck nowhere in Tennessee It's in Manchester, Tennessee. It's about an hour south of Nashville, you know, where you're just surrounded by people who very clearly have basically spent their entire lineage in that area you know their bloodline traces back six seven generations you don't see a lot of intermingling of cultures there let's say um not a bonnaroo itself i mean the surrounding area bonnaroo itself is a smorgasbord of (laughs) crazy sounds and artistry i love it ferociously i love the people who put it on i love the people who promote it i love the farm itself like the way it operates is just in the spirit of total celebration across the board you know And this year, despite having tickets already, um, it pains me to say that Bonnaroo is not happening for me. What's happening instead is Sonic Temple, uh, May 25th through 28th in Ohio. Um, It's one of the few things that could ever get me to set foot in Ohio, honestly, aside from Cedar Point, which is the best damn amusement park in the world. That's in Sandusky, Ohio. But this uh, this lineup for Sonic Temple is like nothing I've seen in a very, very long time. I mean, we're talking rock luminaries and bands that we haven't seen in forever. Um, but also, I mean, shit, just the headliners. You've got Tool, Avenge Sevenfold, Queens of the Stone Age, Kiss, Rob Zombie, Foo Fighters, Deftones, and... But the undercard itself is incredible. I mean, you've got the Bronx, who I'm a phenomenal, huge, super fan of. I cannot get enough of them. We've been screaming about the Bronx for, Jesus, almost the entirety of Antiquide's existence. You've got Pennywise, Bullet For My Valentine, Avatar, AWOL Nation, uh, Senses Fail, Pussifer, Rival Sons. There's so many rock bands, it's going to be a hell of a show. And... um, not to mention the fact that it marks the return of Queens of the Stone Age after a damn near five-year uh, hiatus let's call it you know the lawsuit and the war between Brody Dolly of the distillers and her ex-husband Josh Homme front man for Queens of the Stone Age it threatened to really upend the central thrust of the whole Queens ethos you know the mojo that makes them so goddamn appealing in the first place if the front man for that band had been what was claimed um, if Hami had actually been as toxically divisive and abusive and tormented his kids and so on, uh, as was claimed, it would be a very difficult situation to be in as a fan. Kind of a bit like, uh, the Kanye super fans are feeling at these, at this particular point in time, you know, um, But a lot more truth has come to light in recent weeks, and it seems as though Hame was unfairly targeted and vilified. Meanwhile, he's got full custody of his kids, and there's a laundry list of shit that Brody's reported to have done, along with her boyfriend, that just screams mental illness. Um, I'll leave the speculation there, though. But what it means is that this May, we're going to see the sharpest goddamn musical gang alive return to their thrones as the standard setter for the kind of music that puts lava in your veins. The kind of music that makes you feel ten feet tall, dancing with the devil in steel-toed shit kickers. It's dangerous. It's sexy as fuck. It's full of trap doors and the sound of monsters right around the corner. But the switchblade always has a kiss with it, and that's really what I never find in a Foo Fighter song: the friction that gives it that undeniable edge, the uh, that undefinable antagonistic element the sound something that goes against the grain so it feels as if there's a, a tug of war of sorts happening within the music a Foo Fighter song is something you can essentially put on and 20 seconds in pretty strongly predict what the rest of the entirety of the song is going to sound like it's good shit it's just rarely ever surprising and never once never once as a fan has there ever been a holy fucking shit oh my god jump to your feet moment Definitely not. Certainly not like in Queen's uh, Fairweather Friend" song, you know, where you've got the voices of Trent Reznor, uh, Elton John, Mark Lanigan, Alex Turner, Alan Johannes, Josh Homme, and who the fuck knows who else, packed into like a 15 to 20 second time frame. None of them announced, none of them showcased, none of them obvious. I don't even know if they're even credited on the record, but they're there. Period. And as a fan, that shit is exhilarating. So I'd say that that's a pretty decent trade as far as festivals go for the summer. We'll see what the rest of the summer lays out in terms of plans. Um, It's only April. We've got quite a bit of calendar flips to take care of between now and then. So, uh, you know, there's a bunch to look forward to. I think we'll leave it right there. The rest of the week is looking pretty busy. There may be quite a bit to talk about next week, so... uh, Keep it tuned here, y'all. And thank you for uh, all the new subscribers, by the way. It's good to meet you and greet y'all. But in the meantime, if something sounds too good to be true, check your source. Because if it's coming from Anna Quiet, you can take it to the fucking bank. Catch you next time.